Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here at eFree. If you were our guest with us this morning, I am so excited that you're here today with us. And we are just thrilled. I hope that you find our church to be welcoming and inviting, that people are kind and friendly to you here, and you find a place to belong with us if you're a guest with us this morning. So we are in a series called Not Afraid. And we're looking at different concepts that cause people fear, and then we're looking at how do we deal with those concepts as Christians, as Christ followers? What do we do with these things? And so today's concept is not afraid of disapproval. That most of us, if not all of us, probably have at least one person or multiple people in their lives that we crave their approval, that we need their approval, whether it's a boss or a friend or a coworker or perhaps it's a family member. There's somebody that we just say, I need their approval. My guess is most of us would maybe say, yes, I, I see that in myself at times, but maybe not. Maybe you are convinced I, I'm not afraid of anybody or any problem. I'm okay. And so I have some questions I'd like to ask that are diagnosed, diagnostic questions that come from a book called When People Are Big and God is Small by Ed Welch. And so if you resonate with this message this morning, I encourage you to pick up that book because it can go into a much deeper, much more depth than I can in the time that I have this morning. And so these are the questions that he asks people to find out if they struggle with this fear of disapproval. He says, do you give in to peer pressure? Do you overcommit yourself? Is your self-esteem a reoccurring area of concern? Do you worry that you might be exposed as an imposter? Are you concerned about a decision because of what others might think? Do you easily get embarrassed? Do you ever lie in tiny or large ways to make yourself look better? Do other people often make you angry or depressed? Do you avoid people? So he says, if you answered yes to one of those questions or multiple of those questions, then you probably have someone in your life that you fear, someone that you crave their approval and you go, I need them to like me in order for me to feel good about myself. Or I need them to like me in order for me to feel okay or feel safe. And so this morning we want to dig into um, what do we do when we find this in ourselves? Now, before we get too far, I want to be clear. I don't think there's anything wrong with generally wanting to be likable. I think it's one thing to say, I would like most people just to enjoy being around me and to not want to leave the room when I enter it. But it changes when we get over to this place where we say, I need them to like me. I need my boss to like me because they sign my paychecks. I need my friends to like me because if they don't, I'll be by myself. Or I need this person to like me because if they don't, they might hurt me in some way, shape, or form. So when we get to this place of I need this, we've gone from I want it to this is something that I have to have. And because we have to have it, we're afraid of what might happen if I don't get it, which is the source of our fear. So this morning we're going to look at a guy named Joseph, and Joseph is going to find himself at a crossroad in the verses we read today. And down this path is where God is calling him to, but if he follows that path, he's probably going to be met by the disapproval of his friends, his family his community. So we're going to study Joseph and see what is it that he has to decide, and then what helps him make the decision that he makes. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for this opportunity together today that we have to gather. God, would you please use your word in a powerful way in our hearts and our minds. God, would you write these verses on our hearts so when that moment comes down the road where we have this moment of being afraid, God, these verses might come to mind and we would be reminded that you were with us, and that when we have you, we have the source of everything we need. 
God, I pray that you would help me be clear and concise. God, would you um, write this again on our hearts? Pray this all in your son's name. Amen. All right. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can open them up to the New Testament. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, so it's towards the back. The easiest way is to open it up and just start flipping around, and you'll find Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. If you find Mark, Luke, or John, go to the left. You'll find Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 is what we are looking for here this morning. So we're going to read a verse, then we're going to stop and talk about it, read a verse, stop and talk about it. So this says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So Matthew is telling us the miraculous birth story of Jesus. Now, you probably know someone that has a pretty crazy birth story, that usually in, in your family or your friend group, there's at least one person that had, like, their son was born in a Wendy's drive through or they were born in a blizzard in a snowstorm in an ambulance, or they were born in the parking lot of the hospital, and there's some sort of crazy birth story. Well, this isn't a crazy birth story. This is a miraculous birth story, which Matthew's going to unpack for us. So he says, his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. So at this time period, engagement was a lot different than it is today, that it was official. And it became official when the, the father and mother of the groom went to the father and mother of the bride, and they came together and said, I would like to exchange a gift for the opportunity for my son to marry your daughter. And they agreed upon the gift, and they would sign a legal document, or a, there would be a legal binding agreement. It may not be a document, but there's a legal binding agreement that they would make that says, my son's going to marry your daughter. And then their engagement would last for about a year as he prepared his home for her. And when the home was finished, he would go and he would get his wife and they would be led through the village or through the city in this big parade celebration. And it would end with this week-long marriage um, ceremony, festival, celebration. And then that would end with them finalizing their marriage. Well, before any of this has taken place, before any of the marriage celebration parts taken place, when they're in the engagement phase, Mary ends up pregnant. And, Joseph, and Matthew wants us to be clear that Mary and Joseph have not been together. They have not done anything that is required to make a baby. But Mary is pregnant through this miraculous intervention on behalf of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has miraculously conceived this baby in Mary's womb. But just think about Mary for a moment. She's a teenage girl who one day she wakes up pregnant. That she has not done anything to cause this. She has not done anything wrong. She has not rebelled against God or against the law. Think about the fear she must have. When she realized what's going on, she was, what are my parents going to think? Like, are they going to believe me that I haven't been with a man, that I haven't been with Joseph? What, what is Joseph going to think? Is he going to believe that I haven't been with another man? What, what's he going to think? Think about the confusion of how did this even happen? And then she lives in an honor and shame culture. That her family, her community, they view each other in this honor and shame where if you do what you're supposed to do, you're honored. And if you don't do what you're supposed to do, you're shamed and you're shunned. And she goes, this is what I am facing. And she lives in a small town village where there's a lot of whispers and a lot of disapproving looks and a lot of people that know everybody else's business. 
And so maybe you know what that's like. Because there's a lot of small towns in Nebraska. And small town Nebraska is a wonderful place, but one of the downsides is that people know a lot of stuff about other people. And a lot of times, one decision that a mom or a dad or a brother or a sister or some family member made, it can follow you for a long time. It might be five or 10 years or 15 years past whatever happened, but you're still the son of so-and-so who did such and such. And so I don't know what your story is, but if you know what it's like to be married, if you know what it's like to have people whisper about you when you walk around town, I am so glad you're here today. I am so glad you're with us today because God loves people like that. And there is a long history of people in Jesus' family tree that people whispered about. And so I'm so glad that you're here and I hope that you find the love and joy that God offers because he's for people like you. But we're not going to talk a lot about Mary this morning because Pastor Adrian did a fantastic job of talking about Mary last week. So if you want to know more about Mary and you didn't hear last week's message, I encourage you to go back to last week online and watch that message. So let's talk about Joseph. Joseph is in his late teens and he's preparing a home for his wife. That he's preparing a place for her. And then one day he gets this message that Mary's pregnant. Like this gut punch of what happened. Uh, of who was the guy? What was going on that I've been duped? That I've been building this place for her and it's gone. Like, what, what am I going to do? So Joseph has to make a decision. So let's look at verse 19. It says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So let's talk quickly about his three options. I think he has three options. Option one is that he could continue on with the engagement with Mary. He could just say, I don't care. I want to keep our engagement. I want to get married. But if he does this, his community is probably going to assume he must be the father of the baby. That if he does this, they're going to assume he's the one who's been with Mary and he's the father. And so he's going to join her in the disapproval of their community. He's going to join her in the shame and the guilt they're going to put his way because they think they know what's going on. So that's option one. Option two is he could quietly divorce Mary. That he could choose to not try to drag her through the mud any more than she's been dragged through the mud. And he could say, My, I just, I want to end this thing quietly. That it's believed that Mary committed adultery and that's why she's pregnant. And so that would meet the requirement for divorce. So he could quietly end their engagement. Or option three is he could publicly and loudly end their engagement. In doing so, he could distance himself from Mary and say, I had nothing to do with what she was, whatever she was in, I had no part of it. Whatever is going on over there, I had nothing to do with it. I am a righteous person. Leave me out of it. As we read verse 19, it's clear that he wants to go with option two. He's going to quietly divorce her. This is what his plan is. But this is a life-altering decision. And you know that we don't make life-altering decisions overnight. We don't decide one day, this is what I'm doing, and then that's that. For most of us, we make a decision, then we sleep on it. We say, I'm going to take a little bit to think about this. I'm going to take a little bit to decide, is this really what I want to do? Because that's where Joseph is. And so he's sleeping on it. And this is what happens in verse 20. It says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David... Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Joseph has his plan, and then he goes to sleep, and then he has this dream, and in the dream, this angel appears. And the angel says, Joseph, son of David. Now, why does he address him that way? He addresses him that way because Joseph is an ancestor of King David. And King David, who is an Old Testament king, he received a promise from God. And the promise was, one day I'm going to give you an heir. I'm going to give you a great, 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 great grandson who's going to sit on your throne forever and ever and ever and ever. And so when he addresses him as Joseph, son of David, he is reminding Joseph, you are an heir that the promise could come through. And so what we know is that when Joseph chooses to adopt Jesus, though he's not his biological father, he is included in the lineage of David and the promises fulfilled through Jesus. So then he says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. He says, Joseph, Mary has not been unfaithful to you or unfaithful to the law, but she has experienced the miraculous intervention by the Holy Spirit which has conceived this baby in Mary's womb. And this baby is the Son of God and the Son of Man. And so he is the fulfillment of many promises that you've been waiting for. So he says, when Mary gives birth to the Son, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He says, you need to call him Jesus because he is the Savior Messiah that you've been waiting and waiting and waiting. Your people have been waiting for this Savior who's going to come and rescue them. He says, this is the Savior in Mary's womb. And so when he is born, you are to name him Jesus. And then he reminds Joseph of a prophecy. And a prophecy is a promise that God makes in the Old Testament. He makes this promise through a prophet named Isaiah. In verse 23, the the prophecy is the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Jesus is supposed to name him, sorry, Joseph is supposed to name him Jesus. But then he will get the title of Emmanuel. And he will carry this title of God with us wherever he goes. Because he is God in human form. He is God who has put on the human form and came to live with us. That he has added humanity to his deity to be with us. And the dream ends, and then Joseph has a decision to make. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'm at this crossroad. And down this path is where God's calling me to do, which is to take Mary as my wife, to continue on with our engagement. But we talked about, if he does that, his family doesn't understand this miraculous conception situation, so they're going to assume he's the father of the baby. So to follow what God's asking in this situation means the disapproval of probably his family, his friends, his neighbors, his community. So that is what is at stake. He has to decide, am I going to follow God or am I going to get the approval of these people? What am I going to do? Well, the reality for us is that we are in these same situations many times, that we find ourselves in these same kinds of situations where we know this is what God is clearly telling me to do. It's not, I think, I wonder, it's, this is clearly, God has said, this is my will for your life in his word. And then over here is what other people are doing 
or what other people want me to do. I have to decide, am I going to make this decision to follow God or am I going to search after the approval of others? So it's these moments of, do I want to try and live my life with sexual purity? Then I'm going to save myself for my spouse and honor God with my body. Or am I going to follow the customs and practices of my day? Where if I choose purity, it means I'm going to be in this weird situation with my friends, in this weird situation with my teammates, where they might give me a hard time for the choices that I'm making. They might give me a hard time for this decision to honor God. Or this decision of, do I live apart from my, from my fiance until we're married? Because that's what God calls me to do. Or do I move in because my coworkers are saying, it's not a big deal. Save some money. Or do I live open-handed and generous with my, my wealth or with my money or with my possessions because God says this is not where life is found? Or do I hold on to those things and try to keep those things because society things says the more you have, the happier you'll be. And when you're generous with it, people will go, what, what are you doing? Like we like some generosity, but not that much generosity. And so this is where Joseph is. Do I do what God's telling me to do, or do I do what's going to make this family who doesn't understand the situation happy? And the problem that we face, the problem that we face, is that we care more about pleasing people than pleasing God. That we care more about making these people happy than pleasing God. And this is where our fear comes from. Our, our fear comes from, I believe I need to make these people happy. And God is calling me to do something that will not make these people happy, and so what do I do? Because if I do this, these people are going to be mad at me, and I, I don't want that because I need what they have. So where does this come from? Where does this fear come from? I think there's three main things. The reality is there's a lot of them, but I think there's three main ones. The first one is a fear of rejection, that I find my value or worth in what you say about me. I find my value or worth in what you think about me. And so I need your approval because your approval means I have value. Your approval means that I have worth. And so I need it, and I'm afraid that if I don't get it, I'm not going to have any value, I'm not going to have any worth. And so I pursue, I pursue your approval so that I can have value and worth. Or it's a fear of loneliness. It's a fear of if you do not approve of me, if you choose not to approve of me, I'm going to be all alone. The Friday night, no one's going to want to be my friend. No one's going to want to hang out with me. My phone will not ring. It will not, I will not get any updates or anything. It's going to be like, quiet. And that terrifies me. Or it's the fear of suffering. The fear of, I don't do what you're asking me to do, then I'm going to be punished for it. Whether that's relationally, or physically, or emotionally, or verbally, or it's just you have something, you sign my paychecks. And if you don't approve of me, then you might not sign my paychecks. Or if you don't approve of me, you might look for an opportunity to get rid of me. If you don't approve of me, you might not give me a raise. And so I pursue your approval over God's because I think you have what I ultimately need. And so it's important that we identify in our own hearts what it is. What is my source? What is it that causes my fear of other people? What is it that causes my fear of disapproval so that I can speak the gospel to it? 
so that I can come and apply Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to that place so I can be free from it. And we'll get into that later on. But right now, let's look at Matthew 1, 24 and 25, because we're going to see what does Joseph do. So it says in verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And so the first thing that Matthew is really clear about and he really wants us to know is that Joseph is not the biological father of Jesus. That he's going out of his way to say, Joseph and Mary did not do anything necessary to create a baby. That Jesus is a result of God interceding in Mary's life in a miraculous way. But Joseph is the adopted father of Jesus. But then, what does Joseph do? He immediately does what the angel told him. He immediately takes his path to follow God. That there's no more, I need to sleep another night on it. I might need to see if another angel will come back and just confirm what the first angel said. He's like, I'm going. And it's like, what? It's so easy for him. At least it appears easy. In a society that is far more honor and shame based than our own. In a situation where it is far more costly for him to follow God than it is on our own. And yet it was easier. Why is that? I think it's because Joseph's ultimate desire was to honor God and to worship God with his choice. That, that Joseph, what he wanted more than anything else was to honor and worship God. It says that he was a man faithful to the law. And he was faithful to the law so that he'd be faithful to God. And so when the angel shows up and says, this is the path God wants you to take, he immediately says, that's the path I'm taking. And so our ultimate desire our ultimate desire, it needs to grow to be the deepest thing that we have, the deepest thing we want is to honor and worship God with all we do. When that's the biggest thing, our decisions are become a lot easier. When, when that's the biggest desire we have, it's become easier and easier for us to say yes to God and no to other people's disapproval. Because this is what we want. And so it's important that we realize that our choices our choices are an act of worship. That a lot of times we think worship is just coming here on Sunday morning and it's singing and it's praying and it's listening to a message and those are acts of worship. But also every choice we make is an act of worship. That when I choose to follow God, when I choose to go his direction, it is an act that says he is worthy and he is great and he is deserving of my worship. He's deserving of me saying yes to him and no to this other thing. But when I do it the other way, and I choose someone else's approval over following God that what I show to the people around me, especially the people that know that I follow Jesus, I show them that this is more important than God. That these people's approval, what these people think about me, what they give to me, this is more important to me and more central to me than God. And when I realize that, when I realize that this is an act of worship, it makes the choice easier. When I realize I'm either gonna worship God, or I'm going to worship people. It makes it easier for me to say, well, I don't want to worship people. I want to worship God. So even when it's hard, I have to take this choice. I have to take this path. But there are these other moments, these other moments where it's not necessarily someone is asking you to do something shady that goes against what God is asking us to do. It's just this general, I really want my boss to like me. He's not asking me to do anything illegal. He's not asking me to do anything that God doesn't approve of, but I just want him to like me. I just need his approval. What do we do in those moments? How do we overcome those moments? 
But one of the other things that Joseph, I think, knows is this theme that reappears over and over in the Old Testament, which I think Joseph would have been well aware of. And we see this in Jeremiah 17, 5 through 6. So up on the screens, I'm going to have the New Living Translation because um, it just is a more modern language than what we use today, and so it paints this more uh, specific picture, I think, and it helps, us, it, helps it, it helps us to visualize it more easily. So this is what it says. It says, this is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabited salty land. So he said, the Lord is talking to Jeremiah, and he says, this is what life is like if you're going to trust in people. If you're going to go after the approval of others, and this is where you're going to put your hope, this is where you're going to put your help, this is where you're going to put your value, your worth, this is where you're going to put your security, your safety, your company, this is where you're going to put it in the approval of others. He says, you're going to end up feeling like you are this little tiny shrub in the middle of a desert. It's going to be exhausting and empty, and it's going to feel like your life is cursed. And you might go, Jordan, that seems pretty dramatic. That seems pretty dramatic. But that's been my experience. Like if I look at my life and look at the times where I worked really hard to earn someone's approval, I feel like this little shrug. So for instance, there's been times in my past where I've really wanted to impress an employer. And so I work really, really, really hard on a project or a task I give and work really, really hard on it. Not because I want to do a great job, but because I want them to think that I'm awesome so they'll give me a raise or they'll give me uh, approval or whatever it is. So you work really, 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 really hard. And then you complete the project and then you pat you on the back. Like, way to go, Jordan, you did great. So then I go home that day and I'm like, yes, I'm awesome. I am great. Yes. Then I go to sleep. And then I wake up the next day. If I'm lucky, it's still there, but it's not always there. But it definitely will not last until the next time that I bump into that boss or that supervisor in the hallway or wherever, and they're having a weird day, and they have this weird interaction with you. And then immediately, if, you're, if their approval is what you need, you go, what, what did I do wrong? Like, what did I do? They're mad at me. I did something wrong. And you begin to go through all the emails that you've sent them, all the conversations you've had. You go, what is it that I did wrong that now they're mad at me? And it's just this endless cycle. And it feels like you're this little shrub in the desert just begging for a rain cloud to come over and sprinkle some water on it. But that rain cloud doesn't stay there because it's the desert. And so it moves on. And this is what life is like if you're going to go after the approval of others day after day after day. Is that some days the rain cloud's going to show up and it's going to sprinkle water on you. There's going to be lots of other days where it's exhausting and tiring and empty. But then there's another picture that God paints through Jeremiah in verses 7 and 8. He says, but blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They're like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. So there's this other picture. And this picture is this tree that's planted next to this beautiful running river that never runs dry. So it says it doesn't matter if it rains or doesn't rain because this tree has a source that isn't going to disappear. And so it grows big and tall and has these beautiful green leaves and produces huge, luscious fruit, and it's awesome and amazing because it has a source. And so the reality is you can trust the Lord to be your source, and it's going to be there day after day after day. 
that God's feelings about you do not disappear overnight. That how he feels about you today is how he feels about you tomorrow and the day after that. That is the same every single day. That God loves you, he cares deeply about you, that he is crazy about you, and he is for you. And that doesn't disappear and it doesn't have to be earned, but it's freely given through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the solution, the solution to fear, the solution that helps you to say, I am not afraid of disapproval, is to trust in God with us and to pray for your affection for him to grow. It's to trust in God with us. So if you remember, the angel comes to Joseph and says, your wife's going to give birth to this baby and he's going to be named Emmanuel, God with us. That this is the solution. We trust in God who is with us. And so we, go, we figure out whatever is our heart fear, whatever is the heart thing that we most long for, and we take it to God. We take it to God with us. So for instance, if it's fear of rejection, if it's fear of, I don't have value and worth if you don't like me, I don't have value and worth if you don't say I have value and worth, we turn away from that source and we turn to God, who says, I love you, I care for you, I came to die for you. I put on humanity so I could be with you. I put on humanity so I could take your place. And we hear that voice day after day that says, I am with you. I love you and I'm for you. If your fear, the base fear you have is loneliness, that I'm going to be all alone, the people are going to walk away and abandon me. You go to God with us, who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you now and always to the end of the age, that I do not leave my people. I do not abandon my people. Even when they abandon me, I follow them and I get them back. And so you hold on to him. When you have this fear of what if people leave me, you go, my God will never leave me. If it's this fear of suffering, that I'm afraid you're going to cause me to suffer, I'm afraid that you're going to do stuff to me that is just going to make my life more difficult, you go to the God who suffers. You go to the God who came and suffered for us, and he suffers with us. And you say, would you make me courageous? Like you were courageous when you took my place. Would you help me to suffer now well with you and for you? And you turn to God with us. So the way we can build this into our lives is through breath prayers. So if you were here in the last series, Pastor Adrian taught us how to do breath prayers. And it's this very simple prayer that you just pray. And then you just pray it over and over and over again. Of God, help me. God, remind me. God, care for me. God, teach me. So you go, you find whatever my heart problem is, that if I'm afraid I'm going to be abandoned, you say over and over again, God, please don't abandon me. God, remind me that you're with me. God, remind me that you're with me. And then as you do it, it's cool because it turns into a thank you. That after a while of praying, God, be with me, God, remind me that you're with me, it turns into, God, thank you that you're with me. God, thank you that you never leave me. God, thank you that you will not forsake me. God, thank you that you won't turn your back on me. God, thank you that everybody else might, but you won't. And you do it with whatever your basic fear is. And as you do that, it's going to drive that fear out, and you're going to be able to live with not having to worry about the approval of others. That when God calls you down this path, and you know it might lead to the disapproval of some people, you go, I can endure that because I have God with us. So really quickly as we close... One of the characteristics of Jesus that just amazes me, like he has a, ma a number of amazing characteristics, but one of the characteristics that amazes me the most is that Jesus doesn't care about the approval of others. 
Like, he just doesn't care. Like, you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, over and over again, there are people that want to constantly fight him, want to constantly trap him, want to kill him. Like, he goes to a crowd, and he knows most of this crowd does not like me. Like, these group over here are just trying to figure out a way to trap me. These people over here are thinking about how they're going to kill me. That guy over there doesn't want anything to do with me. Like, he has one of his disciples, Judas. He's got 12 disciples. One of them, Judas, doesn't like him. Like, ultimately, Judas is going to betray him to be executed for 30 pieces of silver. Like, if that's me, I'm like, Judas, what do I got to do? Like, why don't you like me? Like, for thir- three years, like, this guy's walking around like, why don't you like me? But Jesus doesn't seem to care. I think there's a few reasons for that. One is that he's God. I think that makes it a lot easier to accept people's disapproval. But two, I think he knows these principles, that he grew up knowing that it's true that if I seek after Judas's approval, if I seek about the crowd's approval, I'm going to be this little shrub in the desert, and I'm going to walk away from the source that I truly have, this source of life, this river that is God my Father. So he plants himself right here, and he stays here, and he says, it doesn't matter if all of them don't approve of me because God does. It doesn't matter if none of them understand it because God knows. But there's one more thing. And the text doesn't say this, but they live in an honor and shame culture, and so I think it's a fair thing to guess. That Mary and Joseph, I think from the moment that Joseph chooses to say, I'm going to take Mary as my wife, the, the community begins to say, Joseph and Mary both broke the law. That Joseph's the father of the baby, and they begin to whisper about Mary and Joseph. They begin to disapprove of Mary and Joseph. And so I think, because I grew up in towns where sometimes it went away, but a lot of times it didn't. A lot of times that one decision, it stuck with you. And so I wonder if the entire life, Mary and Joseph dealt with people still shaming them for Jesus, still disapproving them for Jesus. And then you think about Jesus. Like, how would he have been viewed? If they think that Mary and Joseph conceived him before they were married, he would have been born out of wedlock. They would have said, this is an illegitimate son. So everywhere he went, he might have been viewed with disapproval because of a decision they thought his parents made. Now, again, he was not illegitimate, but they might have viewed him that way. And so he might have said, this is my entire life. People have never approved of me. And so I don't know where you are. I don't know what fear you have. I don't know what it is that drives you to seek the approval of others, but it is a desert. But there is one who totally understands what it's like to to be disapproved of by others. There's one who understands what it's like to stand alone, and that's Jesus. That is God with us. And so I invite you, take your fear to him. I invite you to plant yourself next to his stream that will never run dry, and day after day you will experience his love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. That it will be there today, tomorrow, and you never have to wonder, is it gonna run out? Would you pray with me? Father God, Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you that you are with us. Thank you that you do not leave us or forsake us. Thank you that you, um, when you call us to suffer, it is only for our good, that you never call us to suffer more than is necessary. God, thank you that you suffered with us through Jesus, that you suffered for us through Jesus. And God, that you will not abandon us. And God, you showed the great worth we have by coming and taking our place, by substituting yourself for us. God, I pray for my friends here in the auditorium and people online. God, I pray and I ask 
God, you would help them to identify whatever that source is for them that causes their fear of others, causes their fear of disapproval. And God, they would take that to you and you would meet that in a powerful way so they could say, I am not afraid of disapproval because my God will never disapprove of me. My father will never disapprove of me. My big brother, Jesus, will never disapprove of me that I have his approval now and always. And God, I pray that would bring peace into anxious hearts. That would bring hope to those that are lonely. That would bring comfort to those that are suffering. God, we pray for those that right now are not looking forward to this week because it's going to be a difficult week. God, pray that you would encourage them. Pray that you would comfort them. That you would remind them that you are near to them. You're not a God who wanders away when we suffer, but you are a God who walks with us through the darkest valleys. And God, I pray that we would know that this year and we would know that as we go forward. God, we thank you that you are God with us. Pray this all in Jesus' name.